The scripture reading today will be, te- will be taken from Joshua 4, 1 through 7, and 19 through 24. When the whole nation had finished crossing the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, Choose twelve men from among the people, one from each tribe, and tell them to take up twelve stones from the middle of the Jordan, from right where the priests are standing, and carry them over with you and put them down at the place where you stay tonight. So Joshua called together the twelve men he had appointed from the Israelites, one from each tribe, and said to them, Go over before the ark of the Lord your God into the middle of the Jordan. Each of you is to take up a stone on his shoulder, according to the number of the tribes of the Israelites, to serve as a sign among you. In the future, when your children ask you, What do these stones mean? Tell them that the flow of the Jordan was cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord. When it crossed the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. These stones are to be a memorial to the people of Israel forever. 19 through 24. On the tenth day of the first month, the people went up from the Jordan and camped at Gilgal on the eastern border of Jericho. And Joshua set up at Gilgal the twelve stones they had taken out of the Jordan. He said to the Israelites, In the future, when your descendants ask their parents... What do these stones mean? Tell them, Israel crossed the Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the Jordan before you until you had crossed over. The Lord your God did to the Jordan what he had done to the Red Sea when he dried it up before us until we had crossed over. He did this so that all the peoples of the earth might know that the hand of the Lord is powerful and so that you might always fear the Lord your God. The word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I pray now that as we look at your word, you would open our hearts and our minds to what you would say to us and reveal to us the grace and love that you have for us through your son. In his name we pray. Amen. It's a real privilege to be here with you again today. I'm glad to see that the weather's improved a lot since I was here last in February. I think I I preached a couple Sundays in a row here in February while Tony was out of the country and almost on almost every Sunday I thought church might be canceled because there were slush and ice and snowstorms each week that that month. So, uh, you know, you might have noticed that Tony's not an American and there, there are certain advantages to having a pastor who's not an American. One of the big advantages is that on American holidays, the pastor doesn't feel obligated to kind of expound on the Christian interpretation of those various American holidays. But this Sunday, you guys have squandered that advantage by bringing me. So I'm going to talk about memorials and the importance of memorials and the power of memorials, because it's actually an interesting thing to think about, because I think when we talk about memorials, you know, on Memorial Day, obviously, remember the, the those who sacrificed their lives for our country, there, there's, there's a real power that exists there because, and I, I think there's something very human about it because we face both the finiteness of our lives, the fact that our lives can be over in a second, that all of our lives are so short, and our longing for eternity. How in a way, you know, a young man who goes over to Vietnam at age 19 and, and is, is killed in battle gets his name on a memorial in, in Washington, D.C., and it will be there forever and ever. And so somehow on Memorial Day we're reminded of the fact that 
even though everything we do is temporary, there's a longing for something eternal in us and a longing for a long-term impact in us. And somehow we want to find that. And somehow we want to believe that that those young men who and, and women who gave their lives didn't give them for nothing. And somehow all of us, in some way, have significance. And I, I think all of this goes back to something, a seed that God has placed in our hearts. You know, the book of Ecclesiastes says he's placed eternity in our hearts. And throughout the Bible, you see this institution and this establishment of various memorials, whether they're memorial statues like, or, or uh, monuments like Joshua made here, or ceremonies like the Passover, things like this, because God wants to remind his people that there are certain moments that are going to last forever. And in this, I think he shows us something about the way he works in our midst. You know that the, the basic background story of Joshua, how, how Moses was the great leader who led the people of Israel, the, led the, the Israelites out of slavery in Egypt. And as part of that, they had the Passover and then they crossed the Red Sea in that great miracle. And Moses led the people for 40 years and he led them right to the doorstep of the promised land, but he didn't lead them into the promised land. Joshua took over. And Joshua's first big act as as the uh, successor of Moses was to lead the people across the Jordan. And that, I think they would have found a way to ford the Jordan River as a group if that had been what they had had to do. But God gave them a better alternative. God said, instead, I'm going to stop the Jordan River and you guys can all walk across. And, and a lot of what biblical scholars think and interpret this as saying this this is the way God gave legitimacy to Joshua as the successor of Moses because just as Moses had divided the Red Sea and the people had walked across now Joshua the successor of Moses had the Jordan River stopped so the people could walk across and walk into the promised land and they weren't there to wander that as you know they were there to conquer they were there to take possession of the promised land so when they got to the other side they set up this memorial so that they would remember this mighty act of God and they would remember this moment and how God was with them and how God was leading them along the way. It was something, you know, it's not every day that a river stops and a nation walks across it into the land that they're going to inherit. And so God and Joshua wanted them to remember that. And that's why that memorial was was put there. And so, so there's a few things I want to show you from this. And the first one is simply this, that for all of us, our history defines our reality. All of us are a product of a history, a product of a history that we were participants in in some way, the, the last uh, 20 or 30 or 40 or 50 years of your life, depending on where you're at, and also the product of a history that predated you in big ways. You know, Joshua says to the people, this is going to remind you that, that as you were slaves, Moses brought you out of slavery, brought you out of slavery in Egypt. You went through the wilderness, and then Joshua brought you here into the promised land. And so as you're in this promised land, remember where you came from. Remember, you came, because, you came here because of God's miraculous deliverance along the way. You know, and this is a universal truism. That's why, you know, it's so important for us to teach, teach the kids 
the history of America, because you can't understand what America is unless you understand the history of America, unless you understand, for example, the uh, the Revolutionary War and how we, we as, as colonialists, our forefathers broke free from the oppression of, uh, you know, guys like Tony, who... Uh, who otherwise would want to control us. Now you guys, again, have voluntarily put yourself under his leadership. That's something you'll have to work through. But, uh, but the Revolutionary War, World War II, even, you know, the Civil War, which, uh, you know, different people have different interpretations of or, or different understandings of. All of these things shape America as we know it today. America, the reality of America today is a product of these things. And in, in fact, Memorial Day, obviously, we remember these things and remember, as the saying goes, that our freedom is not free. And in the same way, our personal history defines us, you know, the, the life that we've lived. But even more than that, you know, the, the things that happened before our birth that brought us into existence. I, you know, just a, a couple weeks ago, I was talking to my parents, and, and they reprised the story that I've heard many times of how they met and uh, and a little bit of their life prior to them meeting it. And, you know, it's always interesting to hear your parents talk about how they met and, and talk about their relationship prior to getting married and, and their lives prior to their meeting and, and to, to kind of say, you know, if... Dad had taken that job instead of that job. He never would have met my mother, and that means I wouldn't even exist. Have you ever ever had that those moments in your life, and you realize that your very existence is the product of, you know, the random acts of two twenty-year-olds in some ways, and but but that's what defines us as that that's part of who we are and and what we've become, and as followers of Christ, and as those who are children of God, one of the remarkable things to think about it, as we think about our personal history is to realize that, you know, it's not just one, one thing after another, but to be a child of God is to recognize that God is writing a story with each of our lives. And the good things, the bad things, the tough things, and the glorious things are all part of that story, a story that's not finished yet, a story that's more remarkable and more dynamic than anything we would write for ourselves. And we're in the midst of that story even now. And part of the thing that makes any story interesting is the fact that as you're reading a story, as you're experiencing a story, you don't know what's going to happen next, and you don't know what the meaning of the various things that you're going through today actually will be as you get to the conclusion of the story, but we know that it's going to be good for the children of God because it's his story. And even as the scripture that was read earlier, you know, we can trust in the Lord with all of our hearts and lean not on our own understanding, acknowledge him because he's writing our story and it's going to be a glorious story. You know, one of the interesting things about Christianity Maybe you've never thought about this before, but Christianity, among all world religions, is, is unique in this, in that it's defined by events in history. Think about the holidays that we celebrate. We celebrate Christmas, the birth of the Son of God. We celebrate Good Friday, the death of the Son of God to take away our sins. 
the birth of the Son of God, the incarnation of God, the death of the death of Jesus Christ, the 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 payment for our sins, and then obviously Easter, the historic event when Jesus conquered death for all of us and gives us hope that one day we will even triumph over death and come to the other side. And so our Christian faith is all about recognizing that God has worked in history past in the life and death and resurrection of Jesus, and he is working in history present in your life and in your setbacks and in your triumphs. One of the verses that sums sums that up for me is, is Galatians 4, 4, which I've I imagine many of you have heard before, when the time had fully come, when history had reached the right place, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem us who were under the law, to give us the full rights of children of God. That history of God's hand in our world defines our reality today, and it defines who you are, and it gives us hope and confidence as we anticipate the next steps of our life. Which, which leads me to the next point is not, what we learn from this is God's power is the basis of our confidence. If we go to the, the very last, uh, slide in the scripture reading, which is where God gives Joshua the interpretation, he says, it says, verse 23, The Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan for you until you passed over, as the Lord your God did to the Red Sea, which he dried up for us when, until we passed over, so that all the people on earth may know that the hand of the Lord is mighty. See, what was the purpose of that monument? What was the purpose of them crossing the, the Jordan River by a miraculous stopping of the river as opposed to them crossing the Jordan River by the laborious process of fording the river with all their sheep and goats and children and belongings. What was the purpose of that? So that people would know that the hand of the Lord their God was mighty, to be reminded of the power of God. And you know why it's important to be reminded of these special events? is because they don't happen every day. For the rest of history, every time they wanted to cross the Jordan River, they had to get a boat to cross the Jordan River. But on that day... They could walk across, and and God wanted them to remember that if and when he needed to, his power was sufficient to, to stop the river, to make a way for them to walk across on dry land because the hand of the Lord is mighty. And it was a testimony to the people of Israel as they anticipated taking over the promised land that the mighty powerful God was with them, and it was also a testimony to those nations, as it says here, so that all the people of earth may know that the hand of the Lord is mighty. If you remember, if you've read Joshua, you know, the spies went into Jericho, and they said, so what's going on here? And they, they talked to Rahab, who kind of ended up being, being their uh, source, and Rahab said, everybody around here is terrified of you. We've heard that God is with you. We've heard how you escaped from Egypt. We've heard that you're coming here, and we are all terrified. Word is getting out that God is with you. And so God wanted the people of Israel to realize, wanted them to remember that God was with them, that God was powerful, and that God is mighty. And God God worked in history then, 
and he's worked in history along the way, and he's working in mighty ways in your life as well. And that's important to remember because as we go through life, as you go through life, as, as we all go through life, things happen. And sometimes bad things happen. Sometimes you and I, we find ourselves in pickles that we don't know how we're going to get out of. Any, any of you in one of those right now? You know, we find those, we, we find ourselves in those times when we say, this problem is too bad, this situation is too bad, my, my situation with my kids is too bad, my situation at work is too bad, my situation with my friends or my family is unredeemable. It's so bad, it's so helpless, it's so hopeless, I've got absolutely no reason, to, no, no, no hope that anything good can happen here. And what God wanted the people of Israel to remember is when you feel like you're up against a wall, remember the Red Sea and remember how you passed over. And that's why it was an annual celebration. Remember the Passover was an annual celebration for the people of Israel so that no matter how bad things got, they would remember that God rescued them from their slavery in Egypt and brought them out. And here, no matter how difficult things got in the conquest of the promised land, they could go back to this pile of rocks and say, Remember, God brought us across the Jordan. God brought the people across the Red Sea because the hand of the Lord is mighty. And we all have times in our life when we need to wonder about the power of God. We need to wonder, is God going to be able to resolve this situation? Is God going to be able to redeem this situation? You know, the Bible says all things work together for good, but I think he's broken it this time. But mostly what we need to remember as Christians, as followers of Christ, when we wonder about the power of God, when we wonder about the ability of God to reverse the difficult circumstances and painful circumstances we find ourselves in, and when we wonder why he allows those things to happen, for Christians, we go back to Good Friday, the most painful circumstance, the most unjust circumstance, the most disappointing circumstance that was imagined. Here the disciples thought that Jesus was the Messiah, and then he gets rejected by the crowds. He gets condemned by the, the Romans, he gets beaten up, and he gets hung on the cross. And that was totally baffling for the disciples, because there was no place in Jewish expectation for a Messiah who would be crucified, a, crucified Messiah, by definition to them, was a failed Messiah. You know, even though Jesus had done all those miracles and seemed to have all that power, there was no way they could understand how anything good could come out of his rejection, out of his condemnation, and out of his crucifixion. But that's because they didn't have a grasp of the power of God. And as you know, the, the death of Jesus was an, an essential part of the plan of God and it was the great that, that that darkest day in history when God seemed the most absent was the day that was God's opportunity, God's setup to show his greatest power when three days later he wrote he resurrected Jesus from the dead. In Ephesians chapter one, Paul prays for the church at Ephesus and he says, What I want you guys to know is the power of God for us who believe. What is that power? That power is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand of God, the Father in heaven. The power of God for you is the power to take 
your devastating days, to take your worst days, to take your darkest days, to take your most hopeless days, and through them to reveal his glory. The resurrection is the thing, the event in history that we remember when we doubt the power of God, when we wonder about the wisdom of God, and we wonder about the plan of God. That's where we find hope. That's where we, what we can hold on to, what God wants us to hold on to. That's the power of God for us who believe. We need to remember that God is powerful because so often for the people of Israel and for you in your life, there's going to be times when you doubt the power of God, when you have reason to doubt the power of God. But remember, things happen not because of the limits of God's power, but because he has a plan that you haven't yet been able to conceive. So we see in this passage, God wants the people to remember their history because that defines their reality. He wants them to remember their power, the power of God, because that will give them confidence. And finally, he wants them to fear God because that will give them hope. The very last line he says, that you will know that the hand of the Lord is mighty, that you may fear the Lord your God forever. He wants them to understand the fear of God. He wants others to understand the fear of God. You know, one of the great problems is that people don't fear God. In Exodus chapter 5, Moses goes to Pharaoh and he says, Hi, Pharaoh, I'm Moses, and I was just talking to my God, and my God says, let my people go. And remember Pharaoh's response? It was, who is your God that I should obey him and let these people go? These are my workforce. I've got pyramids to build. I can't let these people go. And so God goes to work on Pharaoh and eventually gets him to the point where he lets those people go. But most people don't fear God. But when we don't fear God, the problem is not that we fear nothing. The problem is if you stop fearing God, you start fearing everything. And I, I think one of the ways almost anybody you meet can be defined, if you're trying to understand anybody, you know, say a, a boss or a neighbor, a friend or your brother or sister, whoever it is you're trying to, to, to figure out, ask yourself or try to figure out what is it that this person really fears? You know, some people are just driven by fear for their health and it, it drives them to see all kinds of doctors or eat all kinds of weird things. Other people are driven by fear for their careers and, and it drives them to work a certain way or they're driven by fears for money, about money, or driven by fears for their kids. If you have kids, that's the way you're going to be. And I, I'd say until your kids hit about 60 or so, you're going to be worrying about them. So, so it's not forever, but, but it's, it's a long time. Uh, you'll have these these concerns about your your children, but everybody has these fears, and th these fears that we have define us, which is why what God wants us to learn to do is to fear Him. And when we learn to fear God over and above all else, then all these other fears, these fears for our job, these fears for our finances, these fears for our relationships, these fears of of uh, losing our health or ending up alone or whatever it might be, all of those fears are put in their proper place and in their proper perspective. Because, see, when, when we fear God above all else, then all of our other fears become manageable. Or another way to put it is when God becomes big in our life, everything else can become small and be put in its proper place. I like 
the way Psalm 33:18 puts it for uh, the children of God. It says, Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, on those who hope in his steadfast love, that he may deliver their soul from death and keep them alive in the famine. See, when we fear God, we have a basis for hope because we're fearing one who loves us, fearing one who has the power to actually do for us the things we need, and we can depend on him and we can trust him. Understand yourself. And when you act crazy, you're like, why am I acting crazy right now? Have you ever asked yourself that? Why am I crazy right now? And it's probably because there's something you fear that is threatening you. But what we need to get to the point of what, what sanity is, is when we get to the place where we fear God and that enables us to put those other things in their proper place. How does that happen for us? It happens when you and I remember the great works of God. Remember the history of how God has worked for his people throughout time. How his people were slaves in Egypt and he brought them out by his mighty power, brought them across the Red Sea, brought them through the wilderness, brought them across the Jordan River and into the promised land. And even as as the people of God failed, even as the people of God fell short, God was with them, God protected them, God was with them and, and preserved them all those years. And ultimately, God sent his son into the world. And all of this comes together in the person and work of Christ. All of this was about the person and work of Christ. And in his, God, God's Son entered into space and time on the first Christmas, right? That historic day, about 2,000 years ago. And he lived the life that we couldn't live. And then on a historic day, he died the death we deserved to die. He was despised and rejected. He was hung on a cross. And everyone said, well, I guess he wasn't that powerful. I guess God really wasn't with him because if God was with him, he wouldn't have died on a cross. If God was with him, he would have been, he would have been able to conquer the Romans. He would have been able to win over his own people. Everyone figured he had failed because they didn't know the story. They didn't understand how God was writing history. And then, Three days later, you know well, on that first Easter morning, he rose again from the dead and he conquered death for all of us. That's the story, that's the emblem of God's power that he wants all of us to remember. And, and that's what gives us confidence that if we fear God, everything else is going to become manageable. Everything else is going to be okay. God gives us these memorials. The, the big one for the, the people of Israel was the Passover. And then when Jesus came, he sat down with his disciples the last time he ate the Passover with them. And he said, from now on, I want you to remember me. Remember me. Remember my love for you. Remember my presence with you. Remember my story and how I suffered and died for you, and then remember how I conquered pain and loss and sin for you, and you can have hope. Regardless 
of what it is you're facing today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are so good. And we see your goodness to the people of Israel. We see your goodness in the story of our lives. We see your goodness ultimately in the face of our Lord Jesus Christ, his sacrifice, his suffering, and his victory over sin and death. Help us to see that so we can put into perspective our pain so we can put into perspective our loss, so we can put into perspective our fears and find ultimate hope as we trust in you. We ask in his holy name. Amen.